you'll understand when you're older. Anybody hear that growing up? You'll understand when you're older. It drove me crazy. And I don't think it was just because I was impatient. Come on, mom, I don't want delayed intelligence. I think it was more arrogance than it was impatience. Don't tell me I'll understand later. I understand now. It's you who don't understand. Ice cream is a great breakfast food or whatever it was. But the funny thing is my, my parents really did know what they were talking about. And many of us will still use that line with our kids, you'll understand when you're older. Well, one of the most obvious places, I think, where this piece of wisdom applied was with the topic of nap time. Any, amen. Any, any parent or pre-K teacher or babysitter knows the struggle of getting kids down for a nap or bedtime when they just don't understand why you are being so cruel and mean-spirited so as to force sleep on them. Of course, by the time we all hit high school, we would have done anything for an entire period dedicated to sleep. Some of you did that in high school, even though it wasn't dedicated to such. And by the time we move further into adulthood, naps are worth their weight in gold. Looking back, if we could grab our childhood selves by the shoulders and look into our eyes, we would give ourselves a good shake and say, sleep, sleep for all it's worth. The people who are telling you to do this know what's good for you and they love you and they want something good. Sleep like there's no tomorrow, we would say to ourselves. I don't know if you're aware, but the same thing, the same reality is true of us spiritually. There are areas of our lives given to us by God for our good that we might not completely understand why. And just like when we were kids, one such area is the area of rest, of Sabbath, of time carved out of a special regular time to, to stop and to worship. Some of us are rather pre-K in our understanding of rest. Some of us are more mature, understanding the value of it, but we say, when, how, what does that look like? Seems like a mirage in my life right now. Well, my hope is that our time in God's Word this morning will be part of a, of a, of a maturation process for all of us, of looking at what God's Word says about rest and about ceasing from our labor and turning to Him and all of us maturing in our view of that and what God would have for us on the Lord's day. Here's what I want us to see this morning from commandment number four as we are in our series on the Ten Commandments out of our text in Exodus chapter 20. It is for our good and God's glory that we physically and spiritually rest in him weekly. I'll say that again. It is for our good and God's glory that we physically and spiritually rest in him weekly. If you're new with us this morning, we are in a series uh, in the Ten Commandments. Normally in our regular preaching of God's Word, we'll have a larger section of Scripture that we're walking through in books of the Bible. We're taking ten weeks uh, in this current series just to take a Ten Commandment uh, one at a time and walk through these and to consider application for our lives. And so we are in commandment number four this morning, Exodus chapter 20. If you have a copy of God's Word there in front of you, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. 
is where we'll spend our time. Exodus 20, 8 through 11. We will look at a couple other passages, so it'd be helpful to have a Bible or to grab one of the pew Bibles in front of you. And as you turn there, we'll be using the same uh, basic outline for all of these Ten Commandments sermons that we've been doing. We've been asking the same three questions of the text and answering that as we look at it together. What kind of a God would command such a thing? What kind of a people would need such a thing commanded? And then what does it look like for us to obey it? So that's our outline this morning. What kind of a God would give this command? What kind of people would need this command? And then what does obedience to this command look like today? Exodus chapter 20. I'll read the text, verses 8 through 11. This is the longest of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is God's word. Number one, what kind of a God would give this command? All of the Ten Commandments reveal something to us about who God is and what he is like. And so what kind of a God would give this command? I want to submit to you that it's a God who both provides and blesses. A God who would give the Sabbath command that you would work six days and then take the seventh day off is a God who provides for his people and a God who desires to bless his people. First, in Sabbath rest, God is provider. If you look there at your text in verse 8, the word Sabbath, is, it's an English transliteration of the Hebrew word Shabbat. The Hebrew word Shabbat literally means a stoppage or a cessation. It was a day in which work would cease for one day. They would work for six days and then take one day off as a stoppage, as a cessation, as a break. Now, the Sabbath is going to mean more than just that, and we'll get to that in a minute. It's going to be, mean more than just ceasing from labor and ceasing from work. But just, just for now, just in its basic, most basic sense of understanding what Sabbath means, it's from the word Shabbat, which means to, to cease, to stop. It's a day where work ceases. And as such, this day for Israel, it was a day that was, uh, it was a statement that God was going to provide for them even if they stopped doing anything to secure such provision. So there's going to be a day when God was going to meet all of their needs. Could they make more money? Could they accomplish more if they just worked all the way through all seven days? Of course. But that's not God said, no, no, no that's not what, the way we're going to do this. I will take care of you. I will provide for you even if you take a day, focus on me, and rest and not do anything to secure any such provision. So we, take a, we can take a day off because he, he's the God who gives. He's the God who provides it's the first thing we understand. What kind of a God would command such a thing? It was a God who will meet all of your needs, even if you're not working toward the end of them. And then in verse 10, look there again at your text. We see that no one was to work. You see, it says, not your son, your daughter, your servants, your livestock, any stranger or foreigner who happens to be passing through your gates. You wonder, why the specificity there? Why all those people mentioned? Well, it's saying that there are no loopholes to this. You couldn't just say that you were going to take a day off to honor the Sabbath and then have your servants do all the work. 
You couldn't just say, well, I'm going to take a day off to honor the Sabbath, and I'm going to obey God in that way, but kids, get to work and, and uh, plow the fields or whatever it was. No, no, everybody, your, your, your household, your animals, every, everybody was to take the day off. It was every, there were no loopholes to get around it. Everyone else might work seven days a week to maximize profit or to create more product or to accumulate more wealth, but not God's people. God's people were to take a day off, which would remind them and show others that God was a God who provided, a God who would meet all of their needs, even as they trusted him and imitated him by resting on that seventh day. And friends, you have to see that this principle right here, this principle that, that, that God provides and we rest and trust, it's really the heart of Christianity. There is ultimately no rest in any other world religion. I don't know if you've studied any other world religions at any depth at all, but every other world religion is a, you can categorize all world religions into two categories. The category whereby we as humans do and accomplish and achieve and try to tip the scales in our favor and get enough good karma and obey this and don't do that and try to do enough to where you might be saved finally if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds. That's one category of religion. Every world religion that's ever existed, the other category is Christianity whereby Jesus does the work and says, trust me. Whereby he says, you don't need to strive, you don't need to do, you don't need to have, have all these things that are going to earn favor because you can never do enough. The fact that we are sinners and that our, our nature is fallen, we're, we're, fall, we're fallen in all aspects, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, ethically. We're fallen all across the board, and there's no way for us to get out of that ditch. There's no way for us to cross that gulf. There's no way for us to ever work and do enough to get ourselves out of that. And that's why the good news of Christianity is that God sent his son. We, we see the elements here, the bread and the cup that we'll take after this sermon as a reminder that Jesus went to the cross and shed his blood and died so that because he was the righteous one, he is the righteous one, and those of us who are unrighteous who can never do enough just need to trust in him, turn from our sins and trust in him. So this principle that we see right here that God says, you know what, you can take a day off and I got this. That is the message of Christianity. That's the message, that, that we don't have to work and strive and earn, but God's got this. And In Christianity, Jesus does the work, Jesus holds us fast. We can rest because he can provide everything that you need as you rest and trust in him even better than if you were to strive and work and put in max effort. Salvation, the Bible says, is by grace through faith, not a result of works so that nobody can boast. Nobody can brag about being saved. Nobody's smart enough to figure it out. Nobody's moral enough to earn their way. Nobody's religious enough to tip the It's not a result of works so that no one can boast. It's by grace through faith. The good news of Christianity is this principle right here, that we rest and God provides. The second thing, so I said that, that what kind of a God would ask this? Well, it's a God who provides. Secondly, it's a God who desires to bless. It's a God who desires to bless. What, what do we mean by that? Look at the text again. Let me read this again. Uh, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. And then he goes kind of down through the household there. And in verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh. Therefore the Lord, there it is, the Lord blessed 
the Sabbath day and made it holy. So what kind of a God would give this command? Well, it's a God who himself created in six days and then set, uh, himself, he set apart the seventh day as a special day of rest filled with blessings. You note there in verse 8 when it says, remember the Sabbath day, that this special day wasn't created here in the Ten Commandments. It was something that already existed. It, it goes back, it's meant for our minds to go back to Genesis 1, verse 31, that God created in six days and after he finished creating everything, he looked around and he saw that it was very good. He didn't cease from his, uh, he didn't just cease from his labor, he stopped to enjoy what he made because it was blessed. It was very good and he stopped to enjoy that. So this special day isn't, isn't created with the fourth commandment. It already existed, and they are to remember and to recall what God had done. Had a good dinner conversation with the kids this week. Uh, they're in a, a co-op that meets here at the church, and they, uh, they were uh, studying kind of planets and um, uh, uh, kind of astrological stuff. And so we, we were talking about this at dinner. You know how we measure years, right? How we measure years is what uh, the Earth's revolution around the sun, okay, how, how do we measure months? We're talking about this at dinner. How do you measure months? Well, it's more or less kind of around the lunar cycles. That's how we get the months that we have. How about days? Well, the days are the, the Earth's rotation on its axis. Well, how about weeks? One of my kids tried to give an answer, some astrological thing. No, it's not that. The, the, the difference here with the weeks, there's no planetary motions with everything else, with days, or with, yeah, with days and years and months. It's kind of God created the cosmos and he created uh, all the planets and, and it's humans kind of looking up and noting the, uh, these things and coming up with, with these measurements of time. Not so with weeks. The week, the seven-day week, you, you, it, it's, it's kind of arbitrary if you're looking at the planets. No, it's different because that's the one where God came down and he says, I am going to declare this so that you have one day you're going to work for six, you're going to have one just like he did in creation, where you're going to stop. It, it is a declared rhythm of God, created and uh, built for us to work six days and then have a special day of blessing, a special day to focus on him and to rest one day a week. So remember this day, verse 8 says, to keep it holy. And the word holy means to be set apart. It, it's for sacred use. It's literally the, the, the word holy is to set something apart. It's a day that is set apart for sacred use. That's why in verse 10, if you look at your text, it, it was a Sabbath to the Lord. You see that? It was a Sabbath. It was a special day of rest carved out that, that is to be set aside for sacred use that is directed to the Lord. It was a day directed to God, set aside for the worship of God, where they would stop their normal life and, and they would turn their hearts heavenward. And so Israel was to cease from their work, not simply to have a, a kind of a, a day off to physically recharge. It's not that. It's not just a day where they take a day off just to physically recharge, though that happened, but it was a day where they were to cease from their labor in order to focus on the Lord, in order to worship him. It was a holy day to him, a day of worship. One theologian explains it this way, talking about verse 11 that we read there, about the blessing, him blessing the Sabbath day and making it holy means that he makes the day a time of blessing. So, so 
Him blessing the Sabbath day and making it holy means that he makes the day a time of blessing. When God blesses a man, the man becomes rich with blessings. When God blesses a land, the land becomes rich with blessings. So when the text says that he blesses a day, that day becomes rich with blessings. God sets this one day aside, he hallows it or sanctifies it, and he makes it a day set aside for special focus on what is holy, end quote. Here's the shift for some of us in our thinking. Don't look at this command as God telling his people what they can't do one day a week. That's not the point. Don't look at this command as God telling his people what they can't do one day a week, but rather what they can do one day a week. That's the shift. It's given by a God who wants something for them, not something from them, as we've already said in this series. It's an island of get-to and a sea of have-to. Don't you desire that? Don't you want all day, all week long, You've got ought to, have to, must do this. All week long we have stuff pinging us. All day, all week long we have the emails. All week long we have the notifications. All week long we have those alerts in our face. All week long we have this. And God says, I'm going to give you a day where you don't have to do any of that. I'm going to give you a day in the sea, in the desert of have to. I'm going to give you an oasis of get to. Why? Because he wants to bless you. He has something packed into his day to provide blessing for you. Kevin DeYoung, in, in his book on the Ten Commandments, kind of likens this. that If we had an illness, if we had a sickness, we, we would go and we would find a cure. We would find a remedy. And so often for us in, in, our, in our spiritual maladies, in our spiritual dryness, in our spiritual sickness... We're not even looking in the right place for the cure, let alone the remedy. God says, I've got a day for you. I've got a day for you where I want to bless you. The God who would command this, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy, is the God who provides and is God who blesses. He wants something good for each and every one of us. And he's going to do that in a number of different ways. Not just on the Lord's Day, but a number of different ways, days, seven days a week, he's going to do things to bless us and to provide for us. But he says, I'm going to do it in a special way on this day. He's got something for us. He wants to bless us. So what kind of a God would command this? It's a God who provides and it's a God who blesses. Question number two, what kind of a people would need this? What kind of a people would need this command? Because we hear that and we're like, well, yeah. I like provision, I like blessing, so why does this even need to be commanded? Well, it's because we're people, <laughs> we're people who are prone to forget, we're people who are self-focused, right? These Ten Commandments are about the character of God, but they also reflect something about our character. And so what does it tell us that God needs to command this of us? Well, it tells us that we are people who, who don't delight in God of our own volition, we're people who don't delight in God of our own volition. Left to ourselves, we won't rest in God. Left to ourselves, we won't turn our eyes toward him. Left to ourselves, we'll work our fingers to the bone. Left to ourselves, we won't do what he's asking us to do right here. That's why God has to command it. 
Specifically, I, I want to direct us in, in, in two, two ways right here. One, I, I think the Sabbath command points to our being forgetful, and it points to our being self-focused. I have a reason why I'm saying both of those things, that the Sabbath command points to our being forgetful and points to our being self-focused. And I want to show you this in a couple other texts. If you have a Bible, go to Deuteronomy chapter 5. So just to the, the right, keep going there, and, and uh, your copy of God's Word from Exodus over to Deuteronomy chapter 5, a couple books later. Deuteronomy 5, look at verse 12, and if you have a, a heading in the Bible you look at, you, you'll note that in, uh, the, at the beginning of Deuteronomy 5, it's the Ten Commandments again. Uh, Russell kind of uh, walked us through this history a little bit earlier as, as he was intro- introducing that passage. Uh, but what we have is, is, is the Exodus generation gets the law from God at Mount Sinai, uh, and then uh, that, that whole generation dies off, and then God gives the law again. That's what Deuteronomy means, second law. God gives the law again to the new generation who's about to go into the land. And so that's why Deuteronomy is repeating a lot of what we already see in the law. God's giving the law to the new generation. And so right here, Deuteronomy 5, you've got this new generation. And so God is rehashing these Ten Commandments and giving it to this new generation. But look at verse 12 where our command shows up again. I'll read it, but a lot of this will sound familiar. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or donkey or any of your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Right? This all sounds familiar. We've seen all of this already. That's what we had back in Exodus chapter 20. But note verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. You see the new element that Moses brings up here in the book of Deuteronomy when he gives this command again? Part of the point of taking a day of rest and to focus on God was to remember not just the God of creation, though that's there and that's part of it, but also the God of redemption. This God saved you. You were enslaved. We pointed out in week one of this series that, that the Ten Commandments, we, we, it, it's always gospel and then obedience. Right? Do you remember that? That, that it's not that, that God says, hey, you want to be freed from Egypt? Well, if you start obeying, then I'll let you out. No, no, no. He rescues them. He saves them. He delivers them. And then he says, okay, now that I've done that and I've saved you, here's what walking with me looks like. Because I want good for you. And that's what we have, and part of remembering the Sabbath and keeping it holy is to, is to not just remember that God of creation, but the God of redemption, that he saved you, brought them out of their slavery in Egypt. So when you rest, he's saying to them, that when you rest, when you observe the Sabbath day, when you take a break, when you do that, you, you look to him, you point your heart towards him, you focus on him, to focus on your labor, in other words, instead of God proves that you just miss the entire point. You just don't get it. You don't have what you have because you provided it, but because God did. That's what, that, remember that he saved you. He brought you out. Anything you have is because he did it. And if you just want to work your seven days a week and, and, and never take a break and overwork or overplay or whatever, you're, you're just, you're, you're fooling yourself and you're missing the entire point of what he did. Remember that you were a slave and he freed you. You don't have what you have because you provided it because God had. Even more, 
You don't have value or worth or dignity or importance or identity because of what you do for a living. You don't have value or dignity or worth or importance or identity because of what your hobbies are or what you're a fan of. None of that is what defines you. None of that is what gives you value. None of that is what gives you importance. None of that matters. It's that God has redeemed you. That gives you identity. That gives you value. That gives you worth. That you are a child of God. That he sent his son to die in your place. He loved you to that extent that he would send his only begotten son to save you. That is what defines God's people. It's his salvific work for them. And he says, take a break and remember that. Take a break and cast your eyes to me who saves you. You have your life and your being and your identity and your value because you have an amazing God who loved you so much to save you. Took you from slavery to freedom. But church, we're so quick, aren't we, to forget those truths. Again, to understand this, you have to see the Sabbath as much more than a day off of work. It was always meant to be a day filled with blessing as God's people looked to him and worshipped him as the one who created and saved them. And it's commanded because God's people won't naturally do that. God's people won't naturally stop and supernaturally, yeah, as the spirit is in us and leading us to do that, but naturally People aren't going to stop and honor him like that. And so we are told, God's people are told and commanded to pause, to stop, to remember the God who saved us because we don't. We're so forgetful. So why would God command this of us? What kind of people need this commanded? It's people who are very forgetful. And we need to stop and remember the God who redeemed us, which is what we do. That's why Christians gather here on the Lord's Day on Sunday is to rehearse what we see. We, we sing it in our songs. We preach it from the Bible. We look at it in the Lord's Supper and communion. We remember the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus. We need to rehearse that over and over again. That's part of the blessing that he's packed into this day is to worship him and to focus on him. The second thing there is that we are self-focused. Keep going to your right to Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58. I'm going to point out a couple of these Sabbath passages that I think are formative and helpful for us understanding and having a well-rounded view of, of what God is commanding here. Isaiah 58. We are so often self-focused. Look at verse 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath... Well, let me, let me pause. One of the things we see over and over again in the prophets, one of the way the prophets historically located in Scripture and in history are, are, are men that God raised up to uh, declare a word to Israel and to Judah that judgment was coming if they didn't turn back from their sinful ways. That, that, that's the, the prophets. All, all the prophets that you have in your Old Testament are people raised up to call the nation of Israel to repent from their sin, and to turn back from their sinful ways and to follow him, right? One of the things we see over and over again, one, one of the things God has against them, one of the ways that they needed to turn and to honor him was their uh, abandoning and ignoring the Sabbath. That, that's how serious this command was when God says one of the, one of the reasons he, he has against us that they're so sinful is that they're, they're, they're not paying attention to the Sabbath anymore. They're not honoring it. So look here in, in Isaiah 58, verse 13. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, 
from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Do you see, you see that there in the text in Isaiah 58? This is a passage about the blessings that would come if Israel uh, were, were, were obedient. But the way that Isaiah describes the Sabbath and their proclivity to stray, did you hear it? Isaiah describes Sabbath violation in terms of doing your own pleasure, in terms of going your own way, in terms of seeking your own pleasure. God commands a Sabbath rest, a day marked off as holy, as sacred, as set apart to him because we are self-focused. And we need to be reminded to recast our gaze on him. Those are the people that need this commanded of them. The point of the Sabbath, again, wasn't just a day off to do whatever happened to feel relaxing to the people of Israel. It was a day to focus on God. And they were instead prone to focus on themselves rather than on God. Friends, I I wonder, I wonder if part of the reason we, we don't feel always, I'm including myself in this, what we're supposed to feel on a day of worship is that we often don't really enjoy the things that God wanted us to enjoy in giving the Sabbath to his people. We find our pleasures elsewhere. And so if given a day off to rest, we automatically run to those things as our joy. This is why we overwork. This is why we overplay. This is why we numb ourselves with various things and allow ourselves to become distracted by every screen that passes by in front of us. This is why God commands this. He knows this about us. He knows this about us. We need to be commanded to honor, to look to, to worship God with our day off because otherwise we'll just do whatever we want, pursuing our own passions. And that way, friends, lies death. So God says, not that way, this way. I want something for you. I have blessing for you. I have good for you. This is the way. Take a day devoted to me, set apart as holy to me. Now, of course, the great news even, I can't help, as I don't know if you thought as we read Isaiah 58, the, the great news about this, even as you're hearing what kind of a people need this command, it is people that are, that are uh, self-focused, it's people that are forgetful, and you're like, oh, Lord, that's me, I, that, that's me, I'm, I'm self-focused, I'm forgetful, and, and that guilt and shame starts to set in, allow, just stop for a minute and allow Jesus to enter the picture right there, because he is the opposite of Isaiah 58, Isaiah 58, when it, when it says, that, and, and Israel, he's talking to Israel, and he says, you, you, you want to go do your own thing. You want to pursue your own pleasure. You want to do whatever makes you happy. You've got to let Jesus enter into the picture there as New Testament believers and, and say, Jesus was the opposite of that. He was the one who, who was anything but self-focused. He was the one who was anything but forgetful of what the Lord had given to him. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
So even as we turn from being the, seeing how we're the type of people that need this com- to, commanded to thinking about how we're going to apply it, remember that Jesus didn't slack in any of this. The, 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 the need for such a reminder would find no home with him because he perfectly obeyed his father, was perfectly directed in obedience to him. And it's on the account of his righteousness that we are reconciled to God likewise. Well, third, what does obedience to this look like? So we see the kind of God who would command this of his people. It's a God who's a provider and it's a God who's a blesser. We see it's a, the, the type of people who would need this command. It's us, <laughs> the forgetful and the self-focused. All right, what does obedience to this look like then? That's the question that must be answered. How does this, does this Sabbath command apply to us today? And if so, How? Now listen, maybe you've thought this already. The fourth commandment is a little tricky, isn't it? Because the, the other commandments, the Ten Commandments, are ones that we obviously want to continue to obey today. Right? Don't murder. It's a good commandment in the Old Testament. It's a good commandment now. Don't commit adultery. That's a good commandment in the Old Testament. It's a good commandment now. Don't covet. That was a good thing then. It's a good thing now. Don't have any idols. That's something that the Old Testament followers of God has something the New Testament believers have. Don't have any idols or any gods before him. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. You see, all, all the commandments, as you look at the Ten Commandments, these are things that, yeah, we, we want to obey these at any time in any place. And yet when we think of the fourth command, the Sabbath, it brings up extra questions. It's, a, it's the biggest question mark among the ten. Are we still under the law that we see here to keep the Sabbath? There's a diversity of belief and practice among Christians. I imagine even uh, in, in uh, a room this size, with, with, uh, even among our membership, if you would kind of try to parse out the nuances of that Sabbath command, there, there would be people that would have different uh, levels of convictions on what can be done on the Lord's Day and what can't. There's, there's different levels of, of where people would land on those kinds of things. So understanding that some may disagree with this, here's my view, is that the fourth command to honor the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ, but Christians should still observe a day of rest on the Lord's day. That, that, that's my statement. As we think about how we apply this and how, how, the, how we obey this, the, the fourth command to honor the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ, but Christians should still observe a day of rest on the Lord's day, meaning Sunday. Let's unpack that. I'll explain both halves of that. The first half of it was that the fourth command is fulfilled in Christ. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17 says that he did not come to abolish the law but to fulfill it. He says not one jot or tittle is going to pass away from the law. I didn't come to abolish the law to do away with it, to tear it down, but to fulfill the law. So the law was not done away with, but it is fulfilled and therefore we are still called to obedience knowing that our obedience may look different than that of Old Testament Israel. Case in point, right after Jesus says that, uh, that, that, that quote was Matthew 5, 17, right after Jesus says that in Matthew 5, 17, he launches into several sections of saying, you've heard it written in Moses, you've heard it said this, right? don't, don't, don't murder, but I say to you, anybody who has anger has committed murder in his heart. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery, but I say to you that anybody who looks at another person with lust in their heart has already committed adultery in their heart. 
So right after this, Jesus, in that section, in the Sermon on the Mount where he's talking about this, he is showing them how there's still obedience called for. That obedience is going to look differently on this side of the cross. That obedience is going to look differently in his teaching to his followers and in the new covenant. All right, so should we obey the fourth commandment? Yes, but, yes, but what would that obedience look like? I don't think it's a literal Jewish Sabbath on the seventh day of the week. It's not a literal Jewish Sabbath on the seventh day of the week, which is Saturday. Well, why not? Here are a few things to keep in mind. The Sabbath command is nowhere explicitly given in the New Testament. The Sabbath command is nowhere explicitly given in the New Testament. In fact, it's the only one of the Ten Commandments that is not repeated in the New Testament. It's never quoted in the New Testament, nor are there any prescriptions for Sabbath rules or instructions for Sabbath behavior anywhere in the New Testament. In Acts 15, where uh, the Jerusalem uh, Council decided uh, or uh, discussed what would be required of Gentile believers in the church, they didn't require them to observe the Sabbath. The apostles never command anybody to observe the Sabbath. The apostles never rebuke anybody for not observing the Sabbath. The apostles never warn believers about Sabbath violations. They never encourage believers to hold to the Sabbath. We just don't see the fourth command repeated in that way in the New Testament. What we do see is Jesus in eight different chapters in the Gospels, quote-unquote, working on the Sabbath. And when confronted by the Jews, Jesus says to them, man wasn't made for the Sabbath, the Sabbath was made for man. I am Lord of the Sabbath. Telling them that they were missing the whole point if they thought obedience to this command was ultimate. The one to whom these Old Testament laws pointed was now here. They should seek him. He is the one they should seek. He is the rest. We see in Colossians chapter 2, this spelled out, the Apostle Paul says, he says this, he says, don't let anyone pass judgment over you regarding Sabbath observance or food or drink or festivals because the shadow of things to come, and the substance belongs to Christ. Those were shadows of things to come, and the substance belongs to Jesus. We see Romans 14, where Paul, again, he says, some people eat this, some people eat that. Some people think this is holy, this day is holy. Some people think that day is holy. Some people think all days are the same. Romans 14, he says, let us not pass judgment or make each other stumble, quote, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, I think by implication there in the text, also uh, of special days, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ, or whoever serves Christ in this way, is acceptable, acceptable to God and approved by men. And then finally, Hebrews 4, we see this as well, we read this earlier. Hebrews 4, so then there remains. So again, you, we read that in the text earlier that, that uh, Joshua didn't give them rest. Deuter- we read the, the, you had the Exodus passage. You had the Deuteronomy passage just before they went into the promised land. The promised land gave them no ultimate rest. It, it was a shadow pointing to a greater promised land. It was a shadow pointing to a greater holy place. It was a shadow pointing to rest in Christ for eternity. 
And that's what the, the passage in Hebrews says, that, that Joshua, that he couldn't give them rest. He couldn't do it. So then, Hebrews 4, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us, therefore, strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Friends, we pursue our rest in Jesus. Jesus is our rest, eternal rest in Christ. So, so we don't see the Sabbath command anywhere explicitly commanded or warned against in the New Testament. And then we see the Sabbath spoken of in all of those ways that scream, Christ is the point. Jesus is the point. These observances don't earn you anything salvifically. Let, rather, let us run to Jesus. Let us serve Jesus and pursue true rest of God that comes from knowing Christ and knowing Christ alone. That is where we have our true rest, is in him. Okay, pastor, you're saying I can do anything I want to on the Lord's day then. Not so fast. Can we do anything we want to with our day of worship then? Well, I said that the fourth command to honor the Sabbath is fulfilled in Christ, but Christians, this is the second half of that statement, but Christians should still observe a day of rest on the Lord's day, meaning Sunday. Why? Well, because it's a creation ordinance. It's not a law requirement, but we still worship a God who created in six days and rested on the seventh. We still have a God who redeemed us with a mighty outstretched hand that packs our day of worship with blessings. We still have that God who wants to provide and who wants to bless. That's still him. We're still the people that need that. Right? And so we rightly pause to observe not a Jewish Sabbath on Saturday, but a Christian day of worship on Sunday. From the earliest days of the church, we see that Christians shifted the day of worship from that seventh day Sabbath of Judaism to the first day of the week, Sunday, to celebrate the day that Jesus rose from the grave. See that in Acts chapter 20, if you remember from our series in Acts, we talked about that when we came to that text. See it also in 1 Corinthians 16, repeated. And early Christians called Sunday the day of the Lord, or the Lord's day. Uh, Revelation chapter 1 verse 10 John refers to it that, 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 that way, as the, as the Lord's Day, which is why we'll refer to it using that language here around Delray Baptist Church. It's the Lord's Day, meaning it was a day that belonged to the Lord. It's the Lord's Day, meaning it's a day that's carved out to worship Him. It's the Lord's Day, meaning that's the day He wants to bless us as we turn our eyes from our, uh, our earthly affairs that we've had for six days and we turn our eyes in a special way to Him. It's His day, the day for worshiping Him and Growing in Christ. B.B. Warfield put it this way. This is a great quote. He says, Christ took the Sabbath into the grave with him and brought the Lord's day out of the grave with him on the resurrection morn. I think it's a good image. Ignatius, one of the church fathers, this is the late first century. Ignatius says this. He says that Christians no longer observe the Sabbath but direct their lives towards the Lord's day on which our life is refreshed by him and by his death. So from the earliest days in the church, we see not a Jewish Sabbath on Saturday, but a Sunday observance uh, celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, the Lord's day. We too as Christians should carve out a day to direct our hearts to God in worship, enjoying physical and spiritual rest provided by God on the Lord's day on Sunday, 
We should take a day to cultivate intimacy with God, to focus on him, and to enjoy the blessings that he has woven into this day. Now, how should we do this practically today, 2023, here at DRBC? What, what principles should govern our day of rest? Let me just give you three kind of applicational things here to close. We should think through spiritual and physical, public and private, vivifying and mortifying. I'll explain this. Spiritual and physical, public and private, vivifying and mortifying. Spiritual and physical. Spiritual Sunday is, is a day that God has given to you to attend to your soul. It's a day where, where he wants us to attend to the sickness of our soul and the blessings that he has for us. It's a day that, that he wants us to, to, to turn our attention to growing spiritually. So certainly, I mean, you're here. It's a good start. <laughs> it's a good start to the Lord's Day. You come and we worship. We do that for a number of reasons, but one of the reasons we do that is because we need to grow in the Lord. And, and so this is, this, is, this is, we're not earning anything. You guys know that. We're not earning th anything by being here. You don't get anything for perfect church attendance. But we come here because we know that, that we desire to grow in our faith. We desire to know the Lord more. We desire to learn from his word. We desire to be encouraged by one another. And so it's a day of spiritual rest. It's a day of spiritual growth. And so on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, it's, it's great to come here. It's, it's great to, uh, throughout the day to do other things that would be spiritually edifying and beneficial. Take some time on the Lord's Day to study Scripture, to get coffee with a Christian friend for discipleship. Or coming back for the evening service. We don't have one tonight, but coming for the evening services when we have those. It's a time to come back and to continue uh, attending to your soul and for spiritual nourishment. Now again, I get it. Those things are not often as, as restful as a TV show might be for you. But the point of the Lord's Day isn't rest merely, but it's growth in the Lord. And friends, you'll be surprised how you can change your appetites. We, we, we can change our appetite for what is restful for us. We can change our appetites for what is nourishing and, 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 and feels uh, restful, even, even physically restful for us. So attend to spiritual health on the Lord's day. And again, so I, I think part of this means that we can't, this is an interesting day when it's, the Super Bowl is on tonight and everybody's going to like, can I watch the Super Bowl? I'm not saying you can't watch the Super Bowl or do other things that, 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 uh, that, that uh, hobbies or any of these kinds of things, but you've got to see, we can't simply say, you know what, Xbox is really restful for me. I'm going to spend eight hours playing Xbox today because that's how I rest. Right? Facebook is really restful for me. Liar. It's not. And, and so I'm going to spend eight hours on Facebook today. Right? I, work is really restful for me, actually, so I'm just going to clear out my inbox. I'm going to spend all day sending out work emails to get on top of it for next week. No, the Lord's day is to be a day of spiritual growth. Again, not that we can't do any of those other things, but it's a day that we are to have a special focus on worshiping, learning about, studying, strengthening ourselves spiritually. These are all worthwhile pursuits on Sunday. And again, this isn't meant to be a burden about what you must do, or about what you can't do, but what you get to do. It's, it's meant to be a blessing because of, what, because of what we get to do. It's okay to say no to those other things and say, you know what, I'm going to invest time in Sunday on the Lord's Day for spiritual growth. 
Again, not saying you can't view a sport or do something else you enjoy on the Lord's Day, but it must be a day that has a special kind of intentionality about it directed to the Lord throughout the day, a day where you're investing spiritually. If your day of the Lord looks exactly like the days off of your non-Christian peers, you're doing it wrong. It must be a day of a special intentionality of what it looks like to grow in the Lord and be refreshed in him. Physical. So a spiritual day, also a, a, a physical day of rest. Don't neglect the physical. We must not ignore physical rest and our emphasis on the spiritual. I'd encourage you to, to rest in a way physically that's different than the way you work, if possible. Try to balance what your work has you doing all week. And so if your job has you sitting behind a desk all week, it would be a great thing on the Lord's Day to not sit behind a desk. be a great thing to not stare at a screen. Get out, enjoy some recreation in God's good creation. Be restful and recharging for you. If your job has you frantically traveling or doing something physically demanding, then just some time of sheer inactivity might be helpful for you on the Lord's Day. Now listen, I, I get it. In some seasons, uh, my wife and I were talking about this the other day, talking through this, uh, physical rest seems like a mirage. Seems like something that's out there, and then I'm like, oh, I got it, and it just disappears. I just want to say, realize that, that there, are, uh, there, there are seasons to life. The, 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 our lives are, are, are of back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back-to-back seasons. And things change. Have grace with yourselves and, and what, what you might be able to accomplish for rest, both physically and spiritually, in, in one season is not what we're going to be able to do in another. But friends, this is where we can help one another. Married couples, uh, free one another up to rest in a way that would be good and beneficial. We can serve one another and, and help one another rest physically to the extent that we're able. Listen, this is, I wasn't planning on doing this, this, this is one of the reasons I, I, I think it's helpful to plug kind of uh, children's ministry so often. I, I don't know if you've noticed, we've got a lot of kids around here. We've got a lot of families. And in those families, we have, we have a, a quite a number of stay-at-home moms, meaning that's what they do all week. That's their, that, that's their job all week. Like, parenting isn't our job. It's, 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 our, it's our happy duty uh, to raise our kids. But stay-at-home moms, that, that, that's all, all week long. They're with their kids. And part of their day of rest is the rest of our church serving them by making sure we're not begging for volunteers and that they don't have to go back there and do it. That they can sit in here and worship and, and happily go grab their kids and hug them in 45 minutes. But for the time that they're here, they get to rest. And do that. So there's ways as a church and as families we can help support one another that we might rest well on the Lord's Day physically and spiritually. So physical and spiritual, public and private. Public and private, coming to public worship, it, it, it must be intentional. I encourage you to spend your final moments on Saturday night praying for the Lord's Day on Sunday to prepare your heart. A Puritan, George Swinnick said, those who leave their hearts with the Lord on Saturday night will find it with him on Sunday morning. It's a great image. Those who leave their hearts with the Lord on Saturday night will find it with him on the Lord's Day morning, Swinnick said. You, you might leave extra early if you can to get here to church so you're not frazzled and frustrated when you arrive. You might plan for and engage in, in, in public worship in a way that's intentional of, of, of who you want to make sure you have a conversation with and, and to encourage and think about the songs we're singing and think about the elements of the Lord's Supper and Take notes in the sermon and mull those over later in the day. Be intentional 
with public worship. Gathering with the family of God is essential. But we can go even deeper by also planning for private worship. So public and private. Plan for private worship as well. Individually or with a small group of friends or as a family if you have a family. Worship God through singing together. Worship God through the aesthetic beauty of being outdoors through a devotional time together with your roommates or your family. Now again, I realize things are seasonal. There's going to be things we have more capacity for in some seasons than others. But just, just be thoughtful about the Lord's Day. Just be thoughtful. Be intentional about spending time with him that, that in a way that would be encouraging to you spiritually and physically in public and in private worship devoted to the Lord. And then finally, vivifying and mortifying. I said I would explain these. Vivifying and mortifying, again, this is kind of Puritan language that, that uh, was often used. Vivifying is to give life to something. Mortifying is, is putting something to death. So much of what, and this, this is just biblical language where Paul says to, to put on this and to put off that. Right? Give life to this thing and put that thing to death. Build this and tear that down. Cultivate this and weed that out. Whatever analogy you want to use. But in the Christian life, for, for us, we have, to, we have to be intentional about our loves and the, the things that we love of, of intentionally building up the things that give us life and getting rid of the things that steal our love. Building love and getting rid of the things that steal our love. So beware of affection Givers and affection stealers. There are things that we all love to do in our downtime that feel restful, but that in the end won't lead to better intimacy with the Lord. Be aware of those. You might want to limit some of those things on the Lord's day. I know people who limit anything with a screen on Sunday, for instance. Others who might avoid, avoid certain social media platforms on the day or have guards so that they don't look at things for work on the Lord's day. Focus on removing the things that steal love for Jesus and then intentionally add things, vivify, give life to the things that stir your affection for Jesus. Well, we see these things as we seek to obey this commandment. This is to be a day for Christians on the Lord's day that we cease from our labor. And again, not everybody's going to be able to do this. Some jobs require work on Sunday. I it's a work day for me. I don't know if you've noticed the pastors of a church. Some of us, it, it, it's a required. But, but take another day where you are directing your attention to the Lord in, in a way. And, and, and even for those of us who are pastors, and other, there, there are ways that we can still, on the Lord's day, be intentional with our time. Intentional with the breaks that we have. Intentional with, with the relationships and the conversations and the meals that we have. To do those things in a way that, that, are, that are physically and spiritually restful. That that uh, calls us to public, have public and private worship and to give life to things that build our joy for Jesus and get rid of the things that steal our joy for Jesus. I said at the beginning, it is for our good and God's glory that we physically and spiritually rest in him weekly. It really is like nap time for children. This really is what's best for us from a father who really does love us. My prayer for us is that we, as we continue to mature in Christ, our desire and energy toward devoting a day to him weekly won't be, a, you'll understand this one day when you're older type of a situation. Rather, I want it to be a day where our older, more mature Christian selves would assuredly grab us 
by our restless, distracted shoulders and look us in the eye and say, rest, rest. The one who's telling you to do this really does know what's good for you. Rest in Christ. Devote your day to him. He wants to bless you, and he will, will provide all that you need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise you that you, in your wisdom, created a day where we could turn our attention to you, devoted to you, and we don't lose anything by doing it. We're not on the, we're, we're not, we don't have a deficit because of it. You've given us a day to focus on you and have said that you will provide all that we need. Thank you for a day where we get to say no to all the things that have claim on us throughout the rest of the week. All the things that vie for our attention the rest of the week that we have this day. That we can turn to you, that we can look to Christ, that we can worship in the spirit. That we can remember Jesus and his resurrection from the dead and celebrate. Would you give us blessings this day that you have marked out for us? Would you help us to grow today in a special way that would be formative for our lives? Help us to encourage one another and help each other worship in the way that you would have. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.